Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Project Church, how we doing? Good to see you guys. 1130 service. You made it. Made it to wherever we are. You guys never know where we're going to be, right? Like every week, it's an adventure. So we're here today. Next week, we're in West Sac, combined service, Unity Sunday with our West Sac campus. Then the week after that, March 1st, we're back at the Crest for Vision Sunday. Don't miss it. You guys need to be there. It's going to be amazing. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the pleasure of teaching from God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter number 6. And uh, I'm really excited to be sharing from God's Word with you. If you are new, we have been in a series on the book of Mark for the last year. We are a year into this. We're walking verse by verse through the entire book of Mark. So something we do at this church, we love the Word of God. We love going verse by verse because then you can't run from any topic, right? If, there's, if you're going verse by verse, you come to a section, you got to attack it. And so that's what we've been doing. We are going through Mark right now. We are almost halfway through, and so we're going to finish it hopefully by the end of this year. So from now until Easter, we'll be walking through the book of Mark. We'd love for you guys to jump in on this journey with us. And a great way to do that is in community groups. As they talked about just a moment ago, we actually discuss the text in our groups every single week. So if you're interested, you can sign up for a group. Amazing opportunity. But I want to talk to you today from Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read it here in a moment. But I want to set this up. Now, how many of you love reality television? Anybody like reality television? A, a few of you. Um, I don't really watch much, like, television shows anymore. But I'm actually more into YouTube now. Like, I love watching YouTube personalities. Who's with me? Who, we got any YouTube personality? Man? Okay. So, like, my new thing is I watch all these YouTube personalities, and my wife is like, what is this trash? You know, like... But there's something about the rawness that, like, these people are recording themselves and then editing it themselves, and it's all self-produced. I don't know. Something about the rawness and the realness and just the, the entrepreneurial side, side of it. Like, I don't know. I love it. I've been pulled into some of these YouTube channels. Well, today we have come to a text and a section in Mark chapter 6 that is one of the most interesting, I would say, it would have made up, one of the most interesting reality television shows of all time. We've come to a section of scripture where we look at a man, a king, a so-called king by the name of Herod, and how he kills John the Baptist. Now, let me set this up because uh, you need to kind of know where we're at, and some of you have been coming, but some of you are new. In chapter 5, the end of chapter 5, Jesus is ministering in Capernaum. Capernaum was the main city where Jesus ministered in Israel. He did most of his ministry there, and he's there, and as he's traveling through Capernaum, um, the woman with the issue of blood reaches out, touches the hem of his garment, she's healed. He's on his way to go to Jairus' house. Jairus' daughter dies. He keeps going. He gets there. He heals her, raises her from the dead. And, and so this is an amazing, like, example of faith. Right after that, beginning of chapter 6, he goes to his hometown, the town of Nazareth. Nazareth was a town of about 300 people. It was where Jesus grew up. And so Jesus goes to his hometown. It says the people are offended by him. They can't receive him because they're like, we know this guy. He grew up here. We know his sisters. We know his mom. Um, we saw him as a child. And, and even though he had done all these amazing things and his name has spread, he's like, 
He's YouTube famous now, right, in this day. Um, he's become an influencer. And, and, and even though he's got that going for him, they can't receive him because they're like, we know him. We knew him as a child. And so it says he can do no mighty work there. And so right after that, he leaves his hometown, could do no mighty works there because of the lack of faith. And then there's this big shift in the ministry of Jesus. You see, up to chapter 6, Jesus had been doing all the ministry himself. Jesus had been preaching. Jesus had been teaching. Jesus had been healing. Jesus had been casting out demons. He'd been raising people from the dead. He'd been opening blind eyes. But in chapter 6, um, the verse right before we're going to read today, he actually says, now it's your turn. And he tells the, the, the disciples, he says, I'm going to send you out in pairs of two, and you're going to cast out demons, and you're going to heal the sick, and you're going to preach my word. This was a huge shift in the ministry of Jesus and in the ministry of the disciples. For 12 to 18 months, they just watched. So I'd encourage you to go back and watch the message from last week because I believe that message was instrumental for where we're going as a church. And it was God calling us saying, now it's your turn. And our church is making a shift to now we're going out and we're going to take this message. Some of you have been receiving for a long time, but I believe it was a, it was a prophetic word for us where God was saying, listen, I'm speaking to your future, and you've been receiving, but it's time for you to now go and give. I believe our church, as we move into this building right down the street, if you didn't know, we, we bought a building right down the street, um, 1200 Second Street. If you just drive down this street, this is Second, and the last building on the right, big white building, that's our building. Um, we, I'm not even going to tell you guys the timeline anymore because I keep telling you the timeline and it changes. Um, but right now, our tentative finish of construction is April 24th. When we move in, God knows, but I think it will be May, okay? Um, and so we're getting close. I believe in this season, God wanted to prepare us in this word. And Mark chapter 6 and, and the coming verses in Mark leading up to Easter, God's preparing us for what it is he's moving us into, which is a new season. And whenever you walk into a new season, you need some new revelation from God. And so God is wanting to give us some new revelation today. And, and so I want to talk to you, and the title of my message today is On the Fence. And as we look at this text, you're going to see a story about a man named Herod who was a king somewhat, and about John the Baptist. But it's not about John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist is beheaded and we hear this story here. This message and this, what I want to share with you today is really more about Herod. You see, Herod was a man who, whose heart was divided. And I think there's some of us in this room, and, and some of you have been Christians for a while, and you are Christians, and yet you're still kind of on the fence with God. And you're out there going, well, what do you mean, Caleb? This is what I mean. I think that some of us, we give God some of our life. Or most of our life. But we hang on to little parts of our life. We say, God, you can have all this, but, but not this part. God, you can have this much, but I got to hang on to this thing. Like, you, you, can have, you, you can have my job, but I got to hang on to this relationship. I'm not sure I'm ready to bring you into that. You can have, you can have my dream, but, but I'm not sure I'm ready to, to bring you in all the way into my money. 
And so some of us were on the fence, we're shadowing the fence. I don't know about you, but I grew up climbing fences. Anybody climb fences as a child? I grew up climbing fences. Like back in the day when kids went outside, y'all remember that? Um, they played outside. This, it was this thing where you actually like you left your house and you put the video games down and, and you got off like the internet and, and you went outside. You like climbed on things. It was crazy. Um, that's how I grew up. And so I grew up climbing fences. And so you get this idea that when you're on the fence, like, that's not a comfortable place to be. We need our feet solid, on solid footing. And I think there's some of you in this room that have been coming maybe to church and you're interested in God, you're interested in faith, but you're still on the fence. And I believe God today wants to call you to be all in. So let's read Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read, starting in verse number 14. It says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. So I, I want to real quick, like you guys got to understand, like what's about to happen here is a flashback. You guys ever watch TV shows or movies and when there's a flashback, they always put like a different filter on it. So you know like, oh, this is a flashback. But when we read the text, we read a text and we don't always know it's a flashback because the words look the same in the, in the Bible. But this is a flashback and the book of Mark all of Mark is about Jesus. Every single section of Mark is specifically about Jesus' life. It's something that Jesus said, did, some action he took, except for two. There's two spots in the book of Mark that are not about Jesus, and this is one of them. It's about John the Baptist and a king named Herod. The other one is in chapter 1, and it's also about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. He set the stage for Jesus. He was teaching and preaching about the Messiah coming, who was Jesus, and then he actually baptizes Jesus. So this is a significant flashback that Mark actually brings us to, and he brings us to it because you have to understand Herod in the future is the one that, that stands before Jesus as he's condemned and says, like, I'm sending you back. I'm sending you back to Pilate. So we have to understand this story here of, of Herod's experience with John the Baptist because it leads to Herod's experience with Jesus in the future. So Mark gives us this flashback. Some said he is John the Baptist, has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So here's the flashback. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias, his daughter, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? 
And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the flashback to when Herod killed John the Baptist. Now the reason I started saying, do you like YouTube, is because, or reality television shows, is because this is like the ultimate reality television show right here. This is full of drama. Now I want to actually set up just how dramatic it was by explaining who these Herods were and, and what this all entailed. So I have a little graphic for you. You, can't, you can kind of see it. So there was a king named Herod the Great. Herod the Great is appointed king over all of Israel by the nation of Rome. Rome occupied Israel. You guys know this, some of you, hopefully. You're learning now. So Rome appoints Herod the Great to be king over Israel. This is the Herod the Great who is the king when Jesus is born. So the three wise men, the Magi, so that's Herod the Great up top. The three wise men, they come to Herod the Great and say, we've heard this king was born. We see the star giving us a sign that he's been born. And Herod the Great is scared. And he's mad. Because any other king is a threat to him. So he's like, tell me where this king is. And they know not to tell him because the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says he actually wants to kill him, so don't tell him. So they go a different route home. But then what does Herod the Great do? He issues an edict. He says, I'm going to kill all the boys two years and under because one of them is this Messiah, and I don't want another king to raise up. So Mary and Joseph take Jesus. They escape to Egypt. They stay there for a couple years. Then they come back and settle in Nazareth. You guys understand now, this is this Herod the Great. Herod the Great was appointed to be king over all of Israel, this area. He has four sons. Their names are Archelaus, Herod Antipas. This is the Herod that this text is about in Mark 6. Philip and Aristobulus. Those are his four sons. Now, in true fashion, he says, oh, my sons, I need to give them a job. Nepotism is real. We all know this. So he's like, I'm going to appoint my four sons as tetrarchs over different sections of Israel. A tetrarch is like um, a governor. So he appoints his four sons as tetrarchs over the different areas and regions of, of Israel. And Herod Antipas is his son, who he names after himself, is this Herod that we read about here who kills John the Baptist. But John the Baptist, you heard me, I read it to you, he keeps calling him out for his relationship issues. So here's what happens. Aristobulus, brothers, right, has a daughter named Herodias. Philip, the other brother, marries his niece, his brother's daughter. Everyone say nasty. But here's how jacked up this family is. Then Herod is like, oh, she fine. He actually steals his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, 
and takes her as his wife, but she's also his niece. So he steals his niece, who is his brother's wife, and turns her into his wife. This is the family drama that we've come to here. Some of you think your families are jacked up. Be thankful today. So these kings are really, they're puppet kings. Like Herod calls himself a king in this text. He's not really a king. His father was a king, but he's a, a governor. He's an appointed tetrarch by his father. He doesn't really have power. He's more of a steward of the area. And yet he wants to be known as a king because he's power hungry like all his brothers were. So King Herod hears, the reason there's this flashback in Mark is because King Herod hears about Jesus and what he's doing. And people start telling him, I think John the Baptist is raised from the dead. And he's like, oh my goodness, this might be John the Baptist because of all the amazing things he's doing. He hears about Jesus. And it's almost like a flashback of probably what Herod starts to remember when he hears about this Jesus who's doing all these mighty works. And he's like, wait, maybe it is John the Baptist. And then boom, it like flashes back to remember when I killed him. But you see, the, the tragedy here and, and the, the part of the story that I want to focus on is not the tragedy of John the Baptist's death. And actually, I've actually heard this text preached, and it's always more about John the Baptist. But that's not the tragedy I believe here. In fact, I actually think this is like an epic death for a follower of Christ. This is a gladiator, braveheart moment. Like he is preaching the truth to a leader in Rome and he gets beheaded for it. Like, if you're going to go out for Jesus, let's go out like that. And so that's not the tragedy. In fact, I, I, I think it was, it, it was a testimony to all the believers just what God was doing through John the Baptist. The tragedy here is, I believe, the divided heart of Herod. You see, Herod is a man on the fence. He's living a life on the fence. So what I want to do is I want to look at the dangers or the cautions of a life on the fence as we look at the life of Herod. First, is a life on the fence is intrigued by the truth. There is an intrigue with the truth. It says when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. It tells us that he feared John, but he's perplexed by his teaching, and yet he loves hearing him teach. So what it tells us is that John actually, every time Herod brings John before him, he actually calls Herod out for his jacked up family and his inappropriate relations. And he says, listen, you, you've married your brother's wife, who's also your niece. You've stolen her like that's a sin. And he calls him out. And it says that Herod actually like enjoys listening to him. Which I think is funny that someone would be calling him out and he's like, oh, that's good. Like, tell me more of that. Like, tell me more about my sin. Tell me more about my issues. And then he'd send him back to prison. And then a little while later, he'd be like, oh, I want to hear him again. And he'd bring him back. John calls out the king for his moral indiscretion, for his wife Herodias. But it tells us that Herod actually protects him. Because Herodias didn't like him because he was calling her out and Herod out. She wants to kill him, but Herod continues to protect him. Why? Because there's something about him that intrigues him. How many of you know the truth is always intriguing? There's something about the truth that like pulls people in. 
that sucks people in. But we all have to come to a point in our life where we go from simply being intrigued by the truth to deciding to believe the truth. And yet, Herod stands on that fence with one foot of intrigue and one foot of doubt. One foot of, oh, I like hearing this, but one foot that says, I'm not ready to make a decision. It actually says that he's puzzled in verse 20. Now, I looked this word up in the Greek. The Greek word is apareo, and the Greek word means to be without a way. But one description of this word apareo was the idea that you've made progress, but you've come to a fork in the road, and you're stuck, and you don't know which direction to go. So he's puzzled by John, meaning I've been making progress, I've been hearing about truth, I'm learning from you, but now I'm at this fork in the road and I have to make a decision, but I'm stuck because I don't know what decision to make. And I do think there's somebody in here who's been stuck at the decision of faith and you've been on the fence and you're going, man, I'm intrigued by the truth, I'm intrigued by the Bible, I'm intrigued by scripture, but something has you held back. And I want to declare to you today what we believe is that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. And if you make a decision to follow him, that is the path that will lead you to your greatest destiny, to your greatest future, to the greatest hope. That's what we want, what we need. So my son, he, he's eight, and he asks me like a billion questions every day. Uh, a month ago, we drove to the Bay Area because my wife's family was having a party, and, and they're Filipinos, so they rolled deep. There's like 150 of them, um, cousins and aunts and uncles. It's crazy. Um, and, and so, but I love going to these family events, and, and we were driving, and my wife took one car with my two kids because we had to drive her and her sister and my mother and father-in-law back because they were there. And I took the other car, and I had Canaan with me, and I knew what I was in for right when I left. Because he's the man of a million questions. He's eight. And so for an hour and a half, he asked me probably like 300 questions. And at about 90 minutes of it, I said, dude, I'm done. I want you to know I appreciate your questions, but I'm turning the music up because I'm done answering them. Daddy is spent. He's like, all right, Dad, all right. But I mean, he asked me like every question he, imaginable. Why? Because he wants to know the truth. How many know the truth is intriguing? Like we need the truth. We need answers in this life. And I just believe that some of you are stuck on the fence and you're going, is Jesus the truth? Is he really the way? Is that the path to take? And I want to tell you, he is. He is. He is the path. He is the way for your life. You see, the problem with the life on the fence is the perspective on the truth begins and ends at intrigue you see when you're at when you're on the fence and you won't get off the fence your 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 interaction with the truth will always end simply at intrigue and you'll be right there like you're almost touching truth but the fence keeps you from stepping into the truth and I'm telling you that's a less than life It's not the best life. God wants you all in on the truth because when you walk in the truth, you walk in a freedom that is different from the world. Second caution of a life on the fence is that you will have a lack of loyalty. Now, I'm big on loyalty because I'm from, I grew up in Sacramento. You know what I'm saying? And so, 
nothing, nothing bothers me more than, than bandwagon fans. Unless you want to get on the king's bandwagon, but ain't nobody been on our bandwagon for years. And so I go to my, my kids' school now, and I walk around their campus, and all I see is warrior jerseys. And nothing hurts my heart more than seeing warrior jerseys when we got a team in town. I'm trying to tell these kids, you know the kings have two books in the Bible. The warriors, they ain't got none. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I pulled out a Bible joke on you. But, man, I... I love the Kings. I'm loyal to the Kings. I've been a Kings fan since I was a little boy. In 13 years, we've been wallowing. And so nothing frustrates me more than people jumping on bandwagons. These Warrior fans, they've only been around the last five years. Let's be real. I know it's funny. Some of you are like, I'm from the Bay. Okay, I respect you. But how many of you know we live in a culture with very little loyalty? You want to know why? Because loyalty takes commitment. And this culture is adverse to commitment. Because if we commit to something, what happens if something better comes along? And so we're always hesitant to commit. I don't want to commit to a relationship. I don't want to commit to a church. I don't want to commit to a job. Because what if something better comes along? And a lack of commitment will always hinder our future. Because God is looking and calling for a people to be loyal. But when you're on the fence, you know what? You have a lack of loyalty. I mean, you guys saw that breakdown. Here's Herod stealing his brother's wife, who's also his niece. You want to talk about a lack of loyalty. You want to talk about a lack of loyalty to those that matter in your life. James 1.18 actually tells us. Loyalty is divided between God and the world. You see, our lives are always being pulled between God and the world. But some of us have embraced a life on the fence. Like it's become our norm to have a foot in the world and a foot with God. But we all know that there's a danger in a life on the fence. There's a danger... But there's also an opportunity. You see, one thing I actually like, and so I'm not here to condemn you if you're like, yeah, that's me. I've been on the fence. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm actually here to tell you, like, this is an opportunity for change in your life. Because if you've been on the fence, this is an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm done straddling the line. I'm going all in for Jesus. It's an opportunity for change. It's an opportunity to put your loyalty where loyalty will last. You see, loyalty with Jesus is eternal. He's loyal to you forever. But when you don't know what you believe, you will never have solid ground to stand on. And this culture will tell you there's no absolute truth. This culture will tell you, well, the truth is whatever you want it to be. Whatever you would like it to be. Rather than declaring and proclaiming, no, God gave us his word. We have his voice. We know what it says. And we know what truth is. Our lives must live in line with this truth. Every single day. That is how you will learn to live a life of loyalty. By rooting it in this. But a life on the fence is a life without loyalty. And God doesn't want a culture and a people walking through life with no loyalty. No, he wants us to be committed. Committed to our wives. 
going on 12 years with my wife, and I've been committed. And let me tell you, that example is setting an example for my children. And that example, I believe, will, will reverberate through generations. And because of the commitment that I've made, and I've said, I, I made this commitment. I'm not going to back away from this commitment. I'm going to fight for this commitment. I believe that God is going to set us up and set my children up for an amazing future. There's a lack of loyalty Third is a, a, a life on the fence. It, it, the caution is that there's a heart in turmoil. You know when you're on the fence, your heart's in turmoil. You know when you're on the fence, your heart is divided. And the Herods were incredibly miserable. You know why? Because they wanted power. Like they wanted more power. And it actually says in verse uh, 2 here, it says that he feared John. That he was in awe or respect of him and I was looking up this word because I'm like well, well was he really afraid of John like do you really think Herod was afraid of John the Baptist a man he has in chains he has in shackles that he sends to jail pulls out of jail to hear him preach at him and tell him he's a sinner and then sends him back was he really afraid of him and I was looking at the word for fear you see whenever you hear about fear in the Bible when it talks about God is it us being afraid of him? No, it's us being in awe or in respect of him. There is a reverence for him. That is what Herod was experiencing with John. There was a fear and awe, a reverence that he held for this man, a respect. Why? Because he stuck to his convictions. You see, Herod thinks he's the king of his own heart. And he thinks, I have all the time in the world to decide for myself whether this man is telling the truth. But how many of you know we don't know when our time will come? And I love that God always uses the voice of people who are willing to stand for what is right, no matter the obstacles or the repercussions that we might face. You know people who always hold to their convictions? Do you know people like that? How many know those people? There's something that, that you look up to in those people. There's something inspiring about those people. That no matter what the obstacle, no matter what they face, no matter what the repercussions, like they are committed to what they believe. And that is what Herod is feeling whenever he spends time with John. You see there's his heart in turmoil. And, and he looks at a man whose heart is not in turmoil who is so confident in what he believes and what he says that he's in awe of it. I actually was uh, in college. I, I dated a girl for two years who, who was not the woman I ended up marrying. And I remember my senior year, she was like, hey, you know, you're graduating. We should probably get engaged this summer. And I was like, oh, okay, if you say so. <laughs> and so we had planned out our engagement that summer I had been saving for a ring and I had all the money in my savings I was this close to buying a ring but as the months got closer to me graduating from college my heart was in turmoil because I had one foot in with her but one foot out and so I started like there were times I'd be with her and I was in but then when I wasn't with her I was out and when I was on the phone with her, I was in, 
But then the second I'm hanging out with my boys and like we're, we're doing stuff, like I was out. And I went through this process of a heart in turmoil. And the time finally came where it's nearing the end of the school year. And I'm like, dude, I even ha either have to decide I'm all in or I'm all out. And so I got on the phone. I said, yo, girl, I'm out. And I hung up. <laughs> no, I, I was more gentle about it than that. But how many know when your heart is in turmoil, that's no way to live. There's no, there's no joy in that. There's no peace in that. And I had this heart in turmoil. Like I was kind of in. I was kind of out. And finally I had to sit, made the decision like I'm all out. And I got out and there was this peace that came. And some of you have been straddling the line with God of like, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. I got one foot in, I got one foot out. And I'm telling you, if you go out, you will not have peace. But if you go all in, there is a peace that will come upon you that will change you and set you up for your future. Fourth, today, the caution of a life on the fence is that we make choices based on fear. And how many you know when you make choices based on fear, you always make bad choices? You see, in verse 23, he says, I'm going to give you whatever you asked up to half my kingdom. I don't know if you caught that part, but Herodias has a daughter who is not his daughter, not Herod's daughter, Philip's daughter. And she comes in and puts on a Shakira J-Lo performance for him. And uh, halftime show. Too soon? Oh, okay. My bad. It wasn't rated G, y'all. I had to cover my kids' eyes. Um, so this daughter comes in. It, you guys weren't paying attention. She puts a dance on for him and his homies. And he's so like, oh, my goodness, like blown away. Those hips didn't lie. And uh, I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. He's so blown away that he tells her, like, I'll give you anything you ask. I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. And it was interesting because I was reading that, and she says, okay. She goes to her mom. Her mom says, ooh, this was my chance. I want John the Baptist's head. So she goes back and she tells Herod, she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And it says that he is sorry. In verse 26, it says that he is sorry. The king was exceedingly sorry. But then it goes on. It says, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. You see, John was able to do the right thing in the face of jail, in the face of death. Why? Because he's free. You know that John was free from fear? He wasn't afraid of what Herod might do to him. He wasn't afraid of what people might say about him. No, he was free and so he could do the right thing in the face of death. But when you're walking in fear, you're in bondage. And so here, a king with all the power can't say no to a girl because of fear. Because he's afraid of what his guests might say. He's afraid of what these other leaders might say. He's afraid of how it might affect his power in the area. 
And so out of fear, he makes a decision and has to do something that he's exceedingly sorry about. You see, a life on the fence is a life based on fear. Where we make choices rooted in fear. And choices rooted in fear will always lead us down a wrong path. You see, what we do is we make choices based on people rather than choices based on convictions. Right choices for wrong reasons will eventually lead to wrong choices for wrong reasons. And so there may be times, even in the midst of you straddling the fence and and you're living a life of fear, you're not free, you're living a life of fear like Herod, that you might make right choices, but it's often for wrong reasons. But the time will always come where you start making the wrong choices for the wrong reasons, when he had an opportunity to make a right choice here. He could have said, well, no, no, no. I'll do anything but that. But for fear of what they might say, of the power it might take from him, he says, okay, take him. And was exceedingly sorry immediately. I have kids, um, and I used to parent them differently. You see, I used to parent them in a way that made them afraid and intimidated by me. You see, they would do something wrong, and I'd puff up my chest, and I'd be like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Are you serious? There was even times, I'm, you know, one of those, like, make them flinch. What? You guys have done it to your kids. Excuse me. Because I'm bigger than them. I'm more powerful than them. So I would, and I wanted them to make right choices. I wanted them to do the right thing, but I would parent them out of fear and intimidation. And so they would make right choices, but they would make them for wrong reasons. They'd make right choices because they were afraid of me, because they were intimidated by me. But then I read this book called Loving Your Kids on Purpose, which I would encourage you guys to read if you have kids. And I read this book, and I realized, like, look, I still need to discipline my kids because the Bible says God reproves or disciplines those whom he loves but I'm not here to punish my kids you see God is not a God of punishment he's a God of discipline they're different punishment is about inflicting pain to get your desired result discipline is about setting people up to make right decisions for themselves so now when I parent my kids I try to give them options To help them make right choices so that down the road when I'm not there, they go, I'm going to make that choice because that's the right thing to do. Because I know what right is and what wrong is. Not because, oh, I'm afraid. Because if it's just out of fear, then when someone else intimidates them or someone else makes them afraid, they're going to make a wrong choice. And I want to tell you, some of you see God and you think he's out there just trying to intimidate you, make you afraid to make right choices. Let me tell you, that's how the enemy leads The enemy tries to get you to make choices based on fear and intimidation. God is a God that loves us. He reproves us out of love. Why? Because he wants to guide us in love to the right choices and the right decisions for our life. He doesn't want you making choices based on fear. Come back, Chrissy. But when we're on the fence, we make choices based on fear and last caution of a life on the fence is we have a mindset of eventually and some of you been walking through this life 
you come to church, you've been coming to church for a little while now, but you have an eventually mindset. Eventually, I'll serve God. Eventually, I'll surrender my whole life. Eventually, I mean, but not now. I'm young. I got a lot of things going right now. I got some other things I want to do still. I still want to like, you know, just taste a little bit of that sin. Eventually though, yeah, eventually I'm going to give God all of me. You see, uh, life on the fence gives you a mindset of eventually. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, we see, it says, But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So I want you to look at that word opportunity. Whose opportunity do you think this was? I want you to think about it. The opportunity came. Whose opportunity was it? You see, this opportunity wasn't Herod's. The opportunity was Herodias's. You see, the opportunity presented itself for Herodias to finally kill the man she'd been trying to kill. We have a man in Herod who day after day is bringing John in and being like, preach to me. Tell me that truth. Tell me that about my sin. Tell me about my jacked up relationships. Like, talk to me about it. He keeps bringing them in. And then he sends them back. Brings them in. Sends them back. He enjoys listening to them. He sends them back to jail. What was his mindset? I think he had a mindset of eventually I'll probably like give in. Eventually I'll believe. Eventually I'll make a change. Eventually I'll maybe send my wife away. Eventually I'll do the right thing. He had this mindset of eventually. But hear me, church, if we live a life of eventually, someone will eventually choose for us. Someone will eventually choose for you. And some of you may have been going eventually, eventually, eventually. But guess what? If you do that long enough, eventually someone else is going to choose for you. And so here he had this opportunity and he could have responded so many times to John the Baptist. But finally, his mindset of eventually led to an opportunity for Herodias to kill this man who was his lifeline, who was his opportunity. So they kill him. You see, this flashback was about Herod's spiritual experience. Because he hears about this Jesus. That's how this text started. But I want to fast forward. If you go to Luke 23 and it's the end of Jesus' life, verse 8, it says, When Herod, same Herod, saw Jesus... He was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. He'd heard about him. This might be John the Baptist, reincarnated. He was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Do you see that? Herod, with his soldiers, treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. You see, these opportunities kept coming. He was on the fence. And these opportunities kept coming with John the Baptist. But when John the Baptist died, that opportunity died. 
that flicker that was in Herod's heart also died. And when he stood before the Savior of the world, when he stood before the Messiah, the one that John was talking to him about, when he stood before him, he felt nothing. And he treated with him, him with contempt and mocked him and then sent him back to Pilate to be executed. You see, if you live a life of eventually, eventually someone will choose for you. And what's great about today is you have an opportunity to choose now for yourself. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you have been walking through this life on the fence. And God today is saying, it's your time. This is your opportunity. Don't let it pass. Don't let someone else choose for you. Choose this day. Go all in for me. But some of you are like, I love Jesus, but you know that you also have had one foot in with God and one foot in with the world. And today, it's time to choose that you're all in. You're all in. You're off the fence. No longer will I have one foot on each place. I'm in with God. Why? Because that is the life he designed you to live, church. Would you bow your heads with me across this place? I want to give you an opportunity to respond in faith today. If you need Jesus in this place, you say, Caleb, that's me. I've been on the fence. I've been standing at the crossroads and I feel stuck, but today I want to surrender my heart fully to Jesus. Or maybe you've never, you, you gave your life to Jesus at one time, but if you were honest, you've been running from God. You tried it your way. You put your feet in the world and you know that it's time to come back to the right side of the fence. If that's you, you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. You need to recommit yourself. I want you to put your hand up. One, two, three. Go. Put it up. Nobody's looking around. It's between you and God. Yes, hands are going up around the room. Come on, church. Give God some praise in this place for these people. Repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, today I'm going all in. I'm off the fence. And I'm in for you. I love you, Jesus. I believe in you, that you died, that you rose again, that you took my sin, and I surrender wholeheartedly to you. I love you, Jesus, and I'll live for you with all that I am in your name. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. One more time. One more thing. If you're here, you say, Caleb, honestly, like, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I do feel like I've been straddling the fence, and I've kept a foot in the world and a foot with God, and today no longer. Do I want to live that way? Do I want to do that? Do I want to have that mindset? Today I'm going all in for God. No longer do I have one foot in, one foot out. No, I'm in. I'm off the fence. If that's you, lift your hand right now. If you say, I've been on the fence for too long, and I'm done. I'm off. Yes, hands going up all around the room. Jesus, thank you for these people who have responded in faith. I pray that we would get off the fence and go all in for you. Lord, the world is tempting. And at times we get pulled into sin. But today we say no more. God, thank you that even when we fail, even when we're imperfect, you forgive us. Your grace is upon us. But give us the mental fortitude, the strength, the perception, and the perspective to say, no, I'm all in for you, Jesus. I'm on your side of the fence. We love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Stand to your feet, church. Let's sing this song one more time as a declaration of how good our God is. He's a good God. Come on, lift your voices. Hope this word encouraged you today. 
If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.